come in, come in, one and all. Come, yes, come and whoop. Whoop and sit and sit and whoop. And welcome yourselves to another show of stand-up tragedy. Hooray! Yes, so, um, just to be clear on what stand-up tragedy is, do we have any people in the room who have never attended a stand-up tragedy event before? Loads of, uh, basically all of you apart from my family who came with me last night, okay. Um, so, stand-up tragedy is a place where tragedy and comedy meet. We come together to share not just jokes and merriment as we normally do in these situations, but the other part of life because it is just as crucial to the human condition to feel sadness as it is to feel joy, happiness, and have general lols. Um, so, that's the point of stand-up tragedy. Um, just to let you know, we do, like, we do feature some upsetting content and we do do that pretty unapologetically um the britishness in me wants to apologize for presenting tragic content unapologetically but that would negate my previous sentence so i won't um so yeah that's just to let you know that a couple of other things i want to let you know this goes out as a podcast Everybody like everybody who commutes likes podcasts, um, which is brilliant because that means that um, all of these, this show and all the previous ones, are all going to be available on the internet wherever you download your podcast from, iTunes, um, some generic podcast streaming site. I don't know. Um, so they're all going to be up. And also, Stand Up Tragedy has a presence both on Facebook and on Twitter. Um, so do come and check that out. I am your tragic host for this evening. My name is Lucy, Lucy Ayrton, and I am a poet, the most tragic of all the art forms. Um, also coming up this evening, I have some tragic stand-up comedy for you from both Lottie Allen and tragic um, singy comedy from Lydia King. I also have, so look, look, it's Lydia King. That tragic singing comedy from Lydia King. Um, I also have for you um, some tragic but also nerdy stand-up type stuff from Jack Heel. Yeah! And some very, very, very exciting um, tragic comedy from um, one of my favourites, Sarah Hirsch, um, which is also awesome. But before all of that, I am going to do you a tragic poem. I'm going to read it to you from this book, which, look, is tragically designed for the podcast listeners at home. My book looks like it has, like, teeth biting into it. And if you look inside, look how pleasing is this? It's the eye of a dragon. Yeah, this is just... Um, I'm doing this ostentatiously so that everyone knows that I've got books and you can buy them for a really reasonable price after the show. Or, indeed, listeners at home online, PayPal me. Um, OK, so... Um, uh, I've got a really long history with the Edinburgh Festival. This is my tenth fringe, um, which is such a which is a really kind of big slice of my life. And um, after um, where I grew up and where my parents still live in Yorkshire and where I live in Oxford now, and maybe where I went to uni, um, I think Edinburgh is the place that kind of most feels like home to me. And because it's home, um, things happen both for the good and both for the bad. And um, just kind of looking back at myself, like age nineteen, producing a rubbish play. Um, over at sea venues and kind of like, I don't know, I was so young. Um, so when I started writing poetry, I kind of felt like I wanted to almost reach back in time and give myself um, 
give myself a little warning or maybe a pep talk. Um, so this is, this is the poem that I wrote for 19-year-old Lucy. 19-year-old Lucy, um, as I said, produced a show for the Edinburgh Fringe and um, we went and stayed in our friend's house in the middle of the country where there was nothing but like sheep and ponies and alcohol and 15 other 19-year-olds for two weeks and it was amazing. Um, and I was just kind of like gradually detaching myself um, from my big first year romance. Um, so yeah, I wrote this poem for him, I suppose, and also, more importantly for me, um, it's called Bonfire Juice. I find a box of Lapsang Souchong ten years out of date and I think of you, like always. Do you remember that kitchen? Remember walking in all thirsty for tea and I was making bacon on the agar and you gave me the biggest smile and... I'd never even seen an aga, apart from on telly, but remember, I'm resourceful, and we were thirsty for tea. But all we could find was this box of old leaves that smelt a bit like the bacon, and this big, flat-bottomed thing that, when you boiled it, whistled, like in a book. I'd never heard of a house with no kettle. I didn't know you could make tea without bags. I'd never used a saucer. Do you remember that teapot? My mum's is made from, I don't know, clay or something, but this one was silver, real silver. These symbols carved round it in some language we'll never know, and even back then we were far too old, but I swear at the time I thought it must be magic. Do you remember the tea? Every day at eight and then 11 and then three, the tea, and we'd sit all solemn round this too big table because we knew without being told this wasn't like glug from a mug tea, this tea was meant to be sipped. Do you remember the taste of it? And the way the cup was all hot in your hands and the smell. Summer I was four, we still lived in the country and people used to burn their leaves. That smell. Do you remember that one afternoon when we ran out of milk? So we had to use whiskey. And you called it bonfire juice. And we sat out in the sun until there wasn't any sun left and we laughed. Do you, do you remember? I still like Lapsang Souchong, so I take the box and make the tea and drink a cup. I think of you, like always. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Okay, um, first up, um, oh, actually, so for this, um, this night actually features like three people that I've known from basically <laughs> since those days. Um, it was a real pleasure um, to have them with me. First up um, is Lydia. Um, I'll let her plug her own show, but I've seen it and it is really, really, really good and funny. Um, and I, I, will, I will do no further introductions, but um, also everyone here has got their own show that they're gonna be flying afterwards. So be nice and take a flyer. They're all really good. Anyway, massive round of applause and welcome to the stage, Lydia King. Hi everyone, how are we doing? Good, lovely. Gosh, it's a very high microphone. I'm gonna just have a little adjust. 
Okay, so I've had one of those really weird Edinburgh days. One of those really weird Edinburgh days where you're suddenly like, what the hell am I doing with my life? Why am I doing this? Why did I think I could do this? I don't know if anyone else ever feels like that. This won't be very funny, by the way, for the first, like, two minutes. <laughs> I just, um, I just had this weird day where I was just like, what am I doing? Like, am I a good person? Am I listening enough to all my friends? I felt like I spent the majority of yesterday evening just whining. Just, like, moaning about my, my incredible privilege of being able to come up to the fringe and do what I love for a month. Like, oh, God, it's so hard. So hard getting to be an artist. Wow. Um, yeah, I just sometimes feel like all my friends are just achieving in a better way than I am, like achieving in their relationships and achieving professionally and achieving creatively. And, um, and I'm kind of lagging behind a bit. And I don't really know what to do about that, to be completely honest with you. I don't know. I don't know how I fix that. I try and listen more, but it's one of those things where you... You know, you know, you know, if you know things like that about yourself and you think, okay, I'm talking too much. <laughs> I'm talking too much. I talk a lot. That's why I went into comedy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm talking too much. How do I listen more? And I try and listen more. And then um, the little voices come in and just belittle you all the time. And it gets pretty stressful. It gets kind of sad. And I, I do. I sometimes wonder why, why you do it and why you keep going and, and what it's all worth and what it's all for and there's definitely a, a sense I think um, societally maybe or maybe because of TV or maybe just because it's how it's always been maybe it's the inherent need for procreation but there's always that sense of you needing another person to complete yourself and um, I don't I've been single for a really really long time and it's kind of I guess I'm trying to find the self-worth in myself that I can still be a valuable person even if no one else picks me as their special, just one. Um, my whole show is not this sad, but uh, <laughs> that's the kind of day I had. But it's fine, um, because in these situations, when, um, when I feel like this, uh, I just have myself a cheeky little one of these. I'm having a party and it's gonna be so fun I'm having a party and the guest list's only one I'm having a party where I don't pick up the phone I'm having a pity party on my own I'm having a party and it will be so nice I will bring the gin and I will bring the ice We'll play some games like pin the tail on the donkey Except the pin is gin and the donkey, well it's me I'm having a party where only sad songs play As I eat my way through the all-you-can-eat buffet I'm having a party where I cry and watch TV I'm having a pity party just for me um, Yeah, so I like to think of myself as a positive person Despite everything I've just said to you It's just one of those days, I'm not always like that I like to think of myself as a positive person Who puts positive energy out in the world Usually when I'm not sitting on my own having a little cry um, but I don't always get that back. I do get insulted quite a lot, usually by strangers. Obviously, my friends are wonderful and really supportive. Um, I often get, the, like, the go-to insult, I guess, uh, especially for women, is to insult what they look like. Nowhere is this more prevalent than at the fringe when you have to flyer with your own face. Well, that's fucking brilliant. Um, I hand my flyers out to people, and they're like, Photoshop, yeah? Like, a lot of Photoshop on here. I'm like, well, no, but, I mean, I did pay a professional photographer a shitload of money to make me look that good, so... Um, yeah, I, I get uh, compared to being a man quite a lot. And there's nothing wrong with being a man. I absolutely love men. I love men so much I want to put them inside me, right? So that's not what the problem is. I just don't really want to look like one. Um, got told once that I looked exactly like Matt Berry. Now, if you don't know who he is, he's a very talented, very funny man. He's also a big, fat man. Don't want to look exactly like Matt Berry. Not a compliment. 
guy at work once saw a picture of me with um, no makeup on, and uh, usually when people see me with no makeup on, what they go, what they say is like, "Are you okay? You look really tired. Are you ill?" <laughs> nope, it's just my face. Um, but uh, this guy got a bit creative, got a bit different. He said to me, "Oh, Lydia, that's um, that's a handsome woman." <laughs> Handsome is an adjective used exclusively to describe men, okay? That is not a compliment. Just say, that's a woman. <laughs> Take the fucking descriptor out, that's a woman. Yeah, that's a handsome woman, ah. Uh, yeah, so that's not terribly fun. Um, but it's okay, I've got a mantra. I've got myself a cheeky little mantra to get myself through these situations, so that's what, um, that's what this one is. We're all dying, we're all dying every day. Look in the mirror, see your face start to decay And though I know you'd like to think it isn't true Nothing you do means anything, fuck you um, Okay, I might be lying about that positive person thing Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely have my dips, I'm not gonna lie um, I wrote a really bleak song that I really like So I'm gonna chuck in um, just before I go I'll leave you on the bleak song before I do that I'll plug my show because um, God knows after you hear the bleak song I don't think you'll be able to absorb any of it um, so my show is called Lydia King a date with density it is not as miserable as the beginning of this set was sorry um, I had a review today that was a really nice review actually ostensibly but it, um, I think the physical manifestation of that review was this where he basically said that I was really great and then he was like, but not this. But this is fantastic, but this is shit. And it's like, oh, what do you want from me? <laughs> I can't do anything else. Um, so, so that's why I'm in a weird mood. Uh, yeah, so I have a, uh, my show is on at 11 p.m. at uh, The Underbelly at MedQuad. It, is, uh, it was described by the reviewer as upbeat, <laughs> if you can believe that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's two for one today. So extra fun, extra cheap, 11 p.m., nice and, nice and fun. Um, I will, oh, sorry, yeah, that's a really valid question. Thank you. It's called um, Lydia King, A Date With Density. And it's basically about um, sex and my dating misadventures and horror stories and such. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you'll still want to come after you hear the bleak song, but we'll, I'll risk it. Even Hitler had a little Ava. Joseph Stalin had a wife or two. David Cameron has a Mrs. Cameron. What the hell am I supposed to do, I guess? Some people just don't get to be loved. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. It is stand-up tragedy, guys. What did you have? Thanks very much. I also went through a brief phase of online dating, but I was doing this in Oxford, so I kept getting messages that said things like, hello, I think that we might have the same kinds of interest in medieval poetry. Would you like to come on an architectural tour of the pubs of Oxford with me? Yes, yes, mate. Yes, I do, but I will only do that once because you're boring. Um, <laughs> it's just really disappointing. Um, it's fine, I, I found one. <laughs> um, yay! Back to the sad though. Oh yeah, and we're engaged and everything. I kind of feel like I don't want to kind of like say anything happy during this show because the rules of drama dictate that any positivity I put will by the end of the evening have been reversed. Um, so uh, thank, thanks, thanks Lottie. Um, <laughs> 
Next to the stage, um, I would like to introduce some even sadder stand-up. Would you like some even sadder stand-up? Yeah. Every, yeah, it's you. <laughs> no, you're... Yeah, no, it's going it's to be really sad, isn't it? It's going to be well sad. Um, I have also um, known Lottie for a number of years because this gig is almost exclusively programmed from people I went to university with. Um, <laughs> but only because that, there was legit an article in The Independent that's like, what is it with people who go to Lucy's University? They are so talented. They didn't use the phrase Lucy's University. Anyway, <laughs> um, I've known Lottie for many years as um, an actress. So I'm really, really, really excited to see this. And she is also with a show which she will aggressively fly you for on the way out. Probably, maybe, might not bother. Right, good, which will be aggressively flyered on the way out. Um, but yeah, no more rambling introductions, just some lovely sad stand-up. Please give a massive welcome to the stage, Lottie Allen! Hello. Um, so this is the second time I've stood up. Stu you know, I'm usually sitting down. Um, right, well, actually, I'm a very positive person, so this actually might not be that sad. Um, however, I'm going to use my notes because I am going to be talking about Alzheimer's and I wouldn't want to forget anything. That's the first joke, so that's where it's going to go. Uh, uh, yeah, so my lovely, lovely grandma Edna has dementia and for quite a number of years I looked after her, but now she lives in a dementia home in Yorkshire. So can I get a big whoop for Edna? I mean, she can't eat. Even if she was in this room, she wouldn't be able to hear you. So never mind. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so um, <laughs> me and Edna, we had a lot of fun together. Um, so she used to live really near where I live in East Grinstead, but now she lives in Yorkshire because it's cheaper up north. Um, and uh, I didn't want to waste all my inheritance, so I sent her up there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's true, whatever. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of fun together. Like on several, several occasions, she um, did great things with food. For instance, once um, she burnt all her sausages and uh, the fire engine, the fire engine, the fire brigade came all the way out to where she lived, which was this assisted living. By the time she got there, or she'd got there, um, the fire engine had got there. Um, they were like, well, where's, where's it, you know, all the smoke coming from? Um, she'd eaten all of the sausages that she'd burnt, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and another thing that she does, um, she, she'd made a quiche and she'd um, iced it with toothpaste. And I actually think that's really clever because she was eating and brushing her teeth. So, you know, saving time. And then my favourite one is that she made a Gaviscon sandwich. So she was eating a sandwich and dealing with the indigestion at the same time. So you may think that dementia is, you know, a bad thing, but actually it's a good thing. Um, and then um, there are times when I'd used to put her to bed. So I'd, you know, get her into her nighty, I'd get her into bed, I'd take her teeth out, put them in the little thing, give her a kiss. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd, I'd go out, I'd lock the door, I'd be walking down the corridor, and then the door would open, she'd bye! I was like, okay. You know, she wanted to say goodbye to me, and that's very touching, very sweet. I miss her a lot, because she, she doesn't now live near me, and I don't get to see her as much. So that's the tragedy part of it. Uh, then there's another grandma, Grandma Jan. Now, Grandma Jan still dyes her hair blonde. Uh, but the thing is, um, she used to be a Guerlain um, salesperson, so she's really into makeup. The thing is that she's got Parkinson's shaky hands, but she still likes to do her makeup. You see where I'm going with this? 
Yeah, she likes to do her eyebrows. So it's kind of like a angry, surprised cartoon woman all the time. Uh, she also lives in a, a, a care home in Gloucester. Uh, and when we go and visit her, she sort of says to us, your father's in the other room doing a Macbeth recital. Um, actually, the tragedy of that is that Jan is, in fact, dead. Um, no, she's, yeah, she's fine. Um, no, she just decided to stop eating, and she decided. I like that. She had the gumption to say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going. Uh, but yeah, so at her funeral, um, Edna, the great Edna, decided to do an impression of Grandma Jan, which involved high kicks, which for a 91-year-old is quite impressive. I think we'd all agree. Um, but the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the vicar was le less impressed uh, because we talked about her, you know, love of, love of alcohol and, you know, men. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so when Edna saw um, Grandma Jan's coffin, she said, oh, where am I going? And I suppose when you get to that age, if you see a coffin, you're probably like, shit, it's for me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so recently, because I'm so good with old people, I went to a wedding and I was looking at the, um, the seating plan and I was looking for my name. And I was like, oh, there's a Lottie there. And I was like, well, I can't be my table. I'm not with any of my friends. Um, <laughs> I was like, no, no, that is me. Got to the table, lots of old people. They were obviously like, okay, we've got a lot of old people. We're just going to need to put Lottie on that table. So um, old people don't drink that much. So I had six bottles of wine. I had my own meal, everyone else's meal. Uh, and then I had four puddings, which looked bad as I was scraping all of these old people's puddings onto my table. People were like, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, it's fine. Anyway, you know... I'm in all of their wills now, so quid's in. <laughs> yeah, so that went well. And um, yeah, so I was taking them all to the toilet, putting napkins on my head, entertaining them. Yeah, I had a great time. You know, I don't see my friends that often, but um, never mind. Um, anyway, so grandma keeps asking, so I've got to check these notes. Uh, grandma keeps asking me if I've got a nice fella. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry, Grandma, because she'd really love me to be married. Um, so, yeah, I'm getting uh, dating advice from a 91-year-old. <laughs> um, and she says things like, I'm like, oh, what would you suggest, Grandma? And she says things like, oh, I don't know. I've more than one. I'm like, wow, okay. I mean, I can't even get one, but <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, and so um, actually, when I was at this wedding, um, uh, my friends asked this guy afterwards why like, he, he didn't kind of want to get with me. Um, and apparently it's because I'm intimidating. And by the way, I'm not fucking intimidating, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, so that went well. Um, yeah, and... Um, so yeah, it's really. Uh, she was like, "Well, there's a lot of nice men at this place where I live," and I was like, "Oh, great! <laughs> Old people at a care home." So I was like, "Let's investigate," um, because you know they're on the way out anyway. So, you know, little effort, big, big income. No, no, was I? Not again, no one. Okay, well, everyone there's insane. Literally, it, you know, it's a house for the demented, and that is the technical term. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but it's great because when you go there, people are like, oh, I love your hair. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so young. You go around the room and then you just start again because they can't remember meeting you. <laughs> oh, I know. No, it's great, honestly. And I do have great hair. Um, uh, yeah, and obviously getting in on all their wills. Um, so there's a man there called Colin. And when we walked in last time, Colin started whistling at my mum. I was like, back off, Colin. 
Like last time someone said that kind of stuff to my mum, I was like, we were in an Abercrombie and Fitch and someone, and he said, oh, those hot pants will look great on you. I was like, fuck off. Um, I was like, he didn't know what I hit him. Well, it was my fist. I hit, I hit him. Um, but I don't know if anyone's been in an Abercrombie and Fitch. No? You have? Yeah, you look like you got dressed in the dark as well. So what are you doing there? I was in Canada. There's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do in Canada. Uh, okay, so yes. So I go up to Colin, and Colin's got some pretty, you know, heavy reading material out. He's reading The Hungry Caterpillar. And I'll tell you something for nothing. Colin is a very hungry caterpillar because Colin is having an affair with Doris. Now, Colin is a married man, yeah, and he has a wife who doesn't have dementia. So when she comes in and Colin's, you know, copping off with Doris, she get, oh, I mean, that's so unfair, isn't it? Very convenient for him, though. Actually, I think all men have early onset Alzheimer's. Yeah, early onset being a twat. Thank you. For, yeah, very much. Anyway, so once um, my auntie Janet went in and found um, Doris with her, her boobs out, and um, Colin had been unbuttoning her cardigan. And it's actually, I've, I've, got, I've done some research into this. And in old people's homes, sex is rife. Like, they lose all their inhibitions and they just become sexier people. And that's great. It's just like, every, it's like people's related, related people that are like, no, they, they were never like that in real life. And apparently people start having like... Um, uh, same-sex relationships and they're like no they would never be like that in real life but I'm like yeah go for it I mean if Edna turns into a lesbian now I'll be like great dude I'll be impressed I'll be impressed you know she already steals people's puddings and I'm proud of that if she became a lesbian I'd be like what what a woman um yeah so um yes yeah, so I started researching it and um, so I've got quite a strange um, internet search history now, which is like nonagenarian cunnilingus and um, uh, erectile dysfunction and raising the dead. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, and so um, how do old people have oral sex? They talk about it. Thank you. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so, um, but but then I got to thinking about it, and 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 my mind kind of strayed, and I was like, well, oh, stop it! No, I didn't think of that. And I was like, oh, suction, no teeth, and and Parkinson's—that's the motor that never stops. Stop it! I didn't say that. Uh, but you know, lots of people. Um, you know, Rihanna, she has uh, Alzheimer's. Oh no, no. What's my name? Oh no. <laughs> I can't, remember, I can't remember my name. Poor Rihanna. Anyway, so um, grandma says, so, so we're back, back to grandma and her asking me if I've got a nice fella. And um, she says to me, she's wearing this lovely baby blue cardigan. And she says, well, you know, you could borrow this cardigan if you want. And, um, you know, I decided to take her up on her offer because she's obviously doing very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Everybody, who is um, appearing at Electric Dreams? No, not, I'm not in that. Not, you're not in it. No. What are you doing here? Yeah, they didn't cast me in it. Oh Fuckers. no. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, your best friends sometimes don't cast you in a play. I've got new best friends now. I'm in a show at 10.30 in the morning called Current Location. It's apocalyptic. It's tragic. There are some laughs. I'm, I'm actually quite funny in it, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, so um, we'll hand you all a flyer as you come out. 
like that. Oh, it's at 10.30, uh, current location, and, um, well, not this current location, it's called current location, and it's at Summer Hall in the morning at 10.30, repetitions. I'm obviously, it's obviously catching on, Alzheimer's. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> got, it got five stars from Ed Friend's oh, yeah, review. Yeah, it got four stars from a younger theatre. They didn't like me <laughs> last year. Yeah, well, that was the conclusion I came to. <laughs> but I was doing, I was retelling a children's story, so that's a depressing conclusion to come to. Tragedy of my life. Not even doing a show this year. Anyway, I have gone completely off track. Um, I would like to introduce um, my next act. So I remember exactly this time last year, in exactly this very dingy um, basement meeting my next act because um, we were doing a um, Never Mind the Full Stops which is a poetry panel show together um, and we had to do various hilarious poetry games um, and I remember her saying huh looks quite good doing your own solo show maybe I'll do my own solo show and I was like yeah you totally should but I just thought we were you know just doing like bullshit chat I bumped into her the next morning and she was sitting like at a table and she was like I've got 10 pages I was like what <laughs> like, what ridiculous work ethic is this call yourself a poet um but anyway so um that's really exciting and that's on at um 3 30 every day so you should see it but don't just take my word on it because i'm going to present her to you so that you can see how good she is um i'm basically i'm putting off um the moment of saying her name because i have introduced her wrong on stage about five times now I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for it. Please welcome to the stage, Sarah Hirsch. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, that is my name. I remember, I remember that. That was, yeah, I wrote the actual show, um, and 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 the first ten pages didn't change much, and it's had a great response. So that's kind of awesome. Um, but I will plug that later. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna try and do three poems. If I go run out of time, just give me a shout. But. Uh, I'm going to do three poems that I haven't performed in a year. I know, I'm really nervous. Uh, I just thought like that could be tragic, so that's all right. Um, if you don't like these, then I've performed my show every day for the last 20 days, so it's better. Uh, this first one, these are all just stuff that, that seemed quite tragic, um, my tragic poems. This first one, yeah, I wrote about a year ago, and it's called Ian. Today, I went hiking in Marseille in the wrong bloody shoes. Somehow I seemed to miss the clues. Tanned French mountain climbers striding past in walking boots while I mooched on in a pair of broken sandals. Flip, son of a bitch, flop. And shit, 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 I stepped on a rock and oh my God, I can't believe the earth can get this hot. And as the sun did her best to wreck my raw red back, and my body weight in water tested the straps on my overloaded rucksack. And my feet leaked the blood of regret at my lack of practical footwear onto the dusty southern track. I thought of you and how you would give the world to walk that blistering hour in my broken shoes. See, you walk mountains every day when you wander the streets of Piccadilly barefoot. And to those who say that your mountain is just another man's molehill, I will tell them that even molehills crunch harder under the naked foot than the snow that caps Mount Everest ever could. And I will never rest until they have understood that the lowly mole, made blind by dirt and mud, works harder underground than they will ever know. 
to dig a network of tunnels where no city dweller will ever go. And even though deep in the soil, the mole will toil and toil until he finally has a fully functioning burrow that coils under the meadow as brown and efficient as the Bakerloo line. All we will ever see of this tube map-like complexity is a neat little pile of dirt at the entrance. Just like you. You and a neat little pile of worldly possessions, clothes crammed into sleeping bags, sat at the top of the stairs at Piccadilly Station, browned by London dirt like a little London molehill that we can kick aside as we stride to our real jobs, to do our real work. Because we wear suits and clutch our moleskin diaries and buy moleskin soles for our cowskin shoes to soften the blisters that cripple our aching feet, ignoring the moleskin men that sleep in the doorways that line our crowded streets because they are just building molehills and we don't have time for your little molehill because we have more important, I said we have more important mountains to climb and it's fine, you stutter. As he spits warm wine at you, sat in the gutter and mutters in broken English, homeless man, why you no shoes? Homeless man, he laughs, why you no shoes? But I tell you what, Ian, and yes, I remember your name, Ian, it's not fine. Because as I curse myself and my inappropriate choice of footwear at the peak of a mountain in Marseille, for fuck's sake, Sarah, excuse my French, you are moving mountains every day. And in my locker in Piccadilly sit a pair of second-hand sneakers that you will never wear. Because as hard as I looked, Ian, and Ian, I looked everywhere, I never found you. I was there. 11 a.m. like we agreed, but in my greed to help a homeless man, I never plan for the fact that you probably don't own a watch. And time for you is not a promise that in one hour I can rub cream into my feet and find relief in walking barefoot on the beach, no. Time for you is measured only in footsteps. 27 between Piccadilly and the place we agreed to meet, I counted, and Ian, you do that barefoot, and we're talking London streets, and London streets, as you well know, are far from paved with gold. How I wish that you had shoes for me to walk a mile in. All I can say is how deeply I know that I am lucky to have walked so many in mine, and how this mountain, compared to your molehill, how this mountain is so much easier to climb. Thanks. Oh, I remembered it. Thank you. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm remembering it. It's good. Okay. This is like memory testing, especially after like literally 21 shows of an hour solo show and then another show every night and then like other gigs. Like this is, I'm proud of myself. Uh, cool. Next one. This is a story um, and it's called Spaceship Blues. And yeah, this is pr the, the first poem I ever wrote um, when I decided to try s performance poetry. Um, and I haven't done it for like ages and I miss it. So Spaceship Blues. She's rushing between meetings. Stilted conversations, handshakes and misjudged greetings. Her crumpled shirt sings her crumpled story. Her tired eyes tinged with the exhausted grey of this city in all its glory. And as her train expertly drives itself through the endless rain and she's shoved by commuters again and again, she knows she's going completely insane. 150 light years away, at the boundary of where night meets day, with only stars to guide the way, he is quietly humming a wordless tune as he hurtles through space on his way to the moon. He's floating through an empty vessel, his fishbowl helmet a plastic bubble in a world of metal, alone with his thoughts, the distant crackle of a long-forgotten radio and a distinct lack of gravitational force and endless time as he travels further and further north. 
until home is a speck in the corner of his eye, his spaceship muted white in a bullet black sky, and he can't believe he is really this high. She sits and sips her wine and wastes away the time, and as the sun slowly sets, the same sun he passes in his solo rocket jet, she thinks of who she could have met and her regrets. At the same time, the spaceman is staring at the stars as he slowly passes Mars, and he thinks of what he misses, drinking in bars, driving cars, stolen kisses, being a mister to his missus, and then his crying. She imagines flying. She dreams of a life far from her London flat. She can see the moon from where she sat, and for a moment, she feels better. Or at least she's trying. He glides through space, dreaming as usual of a warm embrace or the possibility of seeing another human face. But as he circles the planets, the stars, the sun, there is no trace of anyone and he knows what must be done. He lands abruptly on the moon, the very same one she can see from her room. And as her tired eyes search the sky on another sleepless night, dreaming of flight, he very slowly begins to write. He writes a message on the moon's rocky floor, not knowing or caring who it is for. It says, I simply can't do this anymore. It tells of his loneliness up there on his own, of his fear of the emptiness and of the unknown, and how more than anything he misses his home, all carved in the craters, etched in the stone. He toils for days, he works through the night, only stopping to think about what he should write, and when it's finished, he stands in the moon's eerie light, knowing no one will read it, but hoping they might. But she is too busy to stare at the sky, and his message goes on red as the years float by, the seasons change and the flowers die, as she rushes between meetings. Stilted conversations, handshakes and misjudged greetings, her crumpled shirt sings her crumpled story, her tired eyes tinged with the exhausted grey of the city in all its glory. And as she drives through the night and the endless rain, he is looking down, waiting and going insane but she has stopped dreaming of flying into space. She stores those thoughts in a long forgotten place and stuck in her flat in the middle of town, she spends a lifetime looking down. Until finally she stood on the window ledge, her feet dangling slightly over the edge and she breathes in the air. The wind blows through her hair and she knows it will be over soon. And as she jumps, she makes out some words on the moon. And the words that she reads as she falls to the floor are, I simply can't do this anymore. And she smiles at the words that he wrote in the stone and suddenly she doesn't feel quite so alone. And somewhere a spaceman is silently crying and even though she knows she is dying, she feels slightly better. Or at least she's trying. Thanks. Thanks, um, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. This is um, I love last minute gigs. It's so exciting. I found out about this this morning. This is so Edinburgh. Um, so yeah, I've got one show left of my solo show called How Was It For You? Uh, similar theme. It's what it's what it's like to be single for the first time since being a teenager. Um, and it's spoken word meets theatre, and it's free. It's on at Clark's Bar um, tomorrow only ever. So uh, grab a flyer on the way out, and it's um, yeah, I'd love to see you there. Uh, so this is my last one. Again, this is a, an old one. Um, I'm just really enjoying doing some stuff that is nothing to do with the show and that I haven't done for ages. Uh, and I wrote this for uh, my best friend. It's called The Proposal. My best friends just got engaged. Over champagne, he tells me how he dropped to one knee. He tells me how he did everything traditionally and how the words, will you marry me, came out his mouth so perfectly. And I am so proud of him. 
And now, my best friends, historically immature, my best friends are finally growing up. I just wish the same could be said for everyone. Do you remember us? We met you outside the local pub quite late last Friday night. You were the one who'd lost your mates and stumbled into sight slightly worse for wear, but we didn't care, you were friendly enough. And so when you pulled up a chair, we were more than happy to have you there. Do you remember when you noticed the ring? A simple silver band wrapped around the fourth finger on my friend's left hand, a promise of a future that I can't wait to witness. Is that an engagement ring? Innocent enough question, we laughed and nodded. Yes. Do you remember what happened next? Do you remember laughing and, and looking down your nose and saying, why on earth do you have one of those silence? Conversation stopped. All of us curious to see how long it would take for the proverbial penny to drop, you sniggered and the laughter lingered. I mean, why would you have a ring on your engagement finger? The penny took so long to reach the ground, it started collecting interest. And by the time it reached the carpet, the penny was a pound, and the pound grew heavy with the weight of what you'd said, and the queen on the front of it shook her weary head, but you were still laughing, although nothing was funny. I felt the fight kick in, felt your words stick in me, wanted to stand up and shout that you sicken me, that you're talking about my best friends who through thick and thin keep me afloat, but I didn't want to step on their toes, so I sat on my words. I didn't want to rock the boat, so we avoided the issue. But somehow the awkwardness seemed to entirely miss you. There was an elephant filling the room, but you were unaware of this. You didn't even notice, not even the remotest hint of an acknowledgement of this. However often it happens, it never fails to shock me that in this day and age, people like you never see the errors of your ways. No, it wasn't a mistake. No, it's not on the wrong finger. No, it's not new age. And no, she didn't propose. No, it's none of those. Think about it. I won't spell it out for you. Eventually, it will come to you. And when it does, I hope it humbles you. I hope it trips you up and stumbles you. I hope it refreshes your memory and tumbles you head first into the 21st century. My best friends just got engaged. And I am so proud of them. He will make the most amazing husband. And so will he. Thanks. Now, do we have a Jack Heel in the house? There is no service down here. Something might have happened. I'm, I'm going to do, do my concluding sadmin, and then I might end on an upsetting poem um, if my final piece of upsetting stand-up does not arrive. Either way, I can guarantee you will be thoroughly upset. Um, so this has been Stand Up Tragedy. Thank you so much um, to all of you for coming and to all of our performers. Can you give them a round of applause again? That's Lydia King. Lottie Allen. Sarah Hirsch. Me, Lucy Atten. Um, and also the Stand Up Tragedy team and all who sail in her. Um, as a reminder, um, we really like it if you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and listen to the podcast. And also, obviously, this is the free fringe. Free to enter. Free to enter. Not really free to leave. Um, we, um, I mean, obviously it is. We, you know, it's not a torture room anymore. Um, but we will be having a bucket um, 
on the gate, on the way out. Um, it's free to attend and we really do love that we give that freely, but it's not free to us to take the show here. Like we, we want it to get into the most number of ears and faces and minds um, that it possibly can. So if you can give us a couple of quid, it'd be a tenner for something like this at Pleasant. So whatever you want. Um, we normally recommend that you'd give it like the number of pounds that you'd give it in the star ratings. Obviously out of five, 10 or a hundred is your decision. Um, okay, no geeky sci-fi stand-up. I'm gonna do um, one last poem uh, to play us out. Just a second. Ostentatious use of book. Um, so this um, this this book that I wrote is um, is about fairy tales. Fairy tales, I think, are very important. Um, and when you kind of drill into them and you dig under the Disney, they're very, very, very horrible. Um, I think there's a reason for that. I think that we have to tell our children horrible things. We have to tell them the worst case scenarios um, because that's how we teach them. Um, but there's, um, I think the Disneyfication is quite dangerous because this narrative that in order to kind of to be rescued and like we've talked a lot of kind of about being single, looking for a partner, waiting for someone to kind of come to you and make your life start. And that's such a kind of dangerous thing to tell little girls. That is how the world works. Um, so, yeah, this is um, this is this is my anti poem, because sometimes a story doesn't. And a story can end with a marriage, but a story can start with a breakup as well. Um, so it's a poem about that. I haven't told you yet. And I won't, but... It's only a matter of time because I talk in my sleep. I always have. I should have said something sooner, but I've been very busy lately, making my own clothes and trying not to be a disappointment. I've been trying to wear skirts more and flirt less and do things that hurt less and be quieter. And prior to this conversation, I was doing fine, but it was only ever a matter of time. I've always been the kind of girl who thinks a lot about how much might be an acceptable level of deceit. The kind of girl who feels guilty about feeling guilty about how much she eats. The kind of girl who thinks that herbal tea and tequila both taste exactly the same. They both taste of defeat. The kind of girl who's been really busy lately doing her morning yoga and trying not to be a disappointment and trying not to say that sometimes I want to eat less apple and more cake. Sometimes I want to take the seventh shot of Calvados and drink it down and let the frown slip off my face and drip onto the dance floor. Sometimes I want more than me. Sometimes I want to dance until my head spins and not push boys away when they tell me about what could be. Sometimes I want to let me be lost. And I haven't told you that. And I won't, but it's only a matter of time because I talk in my sleep. And I've been dreaming about dragons and towers and knights and gingerbread houses and wizards and spells. I've been dreaming about forests and dark paths and wolves. I've been dreaming about being lost and I've been not wanting to pull myself back into the day and I didn't want to say any of this to you. I've been very busy lately eating organic rice cakes and trying not to be a disappointment. They're not real cake. <laughs> For your sake, I've been not following breadcrumb trails, but I can't not wonder where they lead. I can't stop reading fairy tales. I won't stop believing in magic. 
haven't told you yet that sometime you'll need to let me be lost. Thank you very much. Fantastic. And as if from a fairy tale ending, I have apparitioned for you some tragic, nerdy comedy for your delectation. Please give a massive, warm welcome to the stage, our final act tonight, Mr. Jack Heal. And by Lydia, she here again as well. Uh, how's it going here? All right, have we had a nice time? I wish I'd just apparitioned, because if I'd apparitioned, I wouldn't have a stitch. I just legged it from... Yeah, I know, I know, it's pathetic, isn't it? Um, I've just been uh, doing my science show, talking a lot about synthetic biology, and you know what it's like when you're talking about synthetic biology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, are we up for some jokes? We're just going to do some jokes, is that all right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, okay, two people are massively up for it. Uh, Right, these are going to be some jokes in the form of a tragic love story. Hopefully that will fit the bill. Are we up for that? Yeah. Cool. Okay, good. Well, my tragedy starts... Um, well, I'd just come back from holiday, right? And uh, the holiday I'd come back from was one of those 18 to 25 holidays at Butlins. Yeah, it's already a tragic start, right? Butlins. Butlins is not the best place, and it's certainly not the best place to spend seven years. 18 to 25. Thank you, guys. <laughs> This could be end up being more tragic for you than me. Uh, I woke up the next day. Uh, I should have got out of bed straight away, really, but I looked at my watch. I saw there's seven minutes past seven. I don't know if any of you guys are like this. I can't get out of bed until it's on a nice round number. So I waited. <laughs> and then at 10 o'clock, I got out of bed. I, uh, I put my dressing gown on. I made my way to the bathroom. I had a shower. I went for the biggest poo you've ever seen. And I got out of the shower. <laughs> took off my wet dressing gown and dried myself. <laughs> I stretched and I yawned. I was tired, as I said, I'd just come back from holiday. And um, yeah, on the last night of the holiday, I'd had this fat acid trip. I'm talking about drugs, so when I say fat, I mean with a pH. And I'm talking about acid, so I mean quite a low pH. <laughs> <laughs> Still in science mode, sorry. <laughs> I actually, it's just true, I always wanted to be a scientist when I was younger. I wanted to be such a good scientist that I'd get a chemical element named after me. You know, like how Einstein has Einsteinium and Newton has Newtonium. And then I realised that because my surname's Heal, I've basically got that for free already. <laughs> All right, OK. Yeah, that's a joke about helium that often goes down badly. I don't know. <laughs> Way, OK. Good, okay, we're slowly getting there. I didn't know what to do with my morning, so I, uh, well, I spent a bit of time uh, watching my next door neighbor getting changed by her bedroom window, and when she spotted me, she was really angry and told me to get out of her bedroom. I had a bit of water. I'm trying to have two liters of water every day, which may not sound like a lot to some of you, but to those of us who are new to colonic irrigation, that's a buttload. I spent a bit of time doing one of my two main hobbies. I've got two main hobbies, uh, watching nature documentaries and masturbating. That's my first main hobby. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to put all the tragic jokes in there. Thank you. Wait till you hear my second main hobby. Ah, it's just going bowling and masturbating. Now, that is tragic. <laughs> I... Uh, do you want more tragedy? Is the tragedy all right? I, uh, 
I was struggling. Life is hard, isn't it? You know, juggling career and home life. Home life's not much fun, and my juggling career's not going very well either. Pile on the tragedy. I realised I'd never taken enough risks in life. You know, I'd never done things and thought, hang the expense. You know, I'd never left crumbs in the butter. Why not? I'd, I'd always worn a condom, which is fine during intercourse, but the rest of the time, it's a bit overcautious, if anything. I thought about I thought about everything. I, I realised I'd never I'd never done enough things. I, I'd never I always wanted to do crazy things. I, I wanted to join the Mile High Club, you know. I already had, but I wanted to do it properly with an air stewardess in the toilet rather than by myself in the aisle. <laughs> I realised I've never read enough books or been to enough museums. You know, I always thought that a picture's worth a thousand words, and a video is 24 pictures a second. So a 10-second video is 240,000 words which is the same number of words as there are in Ulysses by James Joyce. So I never read Ulysses by James Joyce. I watched Sneezing Panda on YouTube instead. <laughs> uh, right, tragedy, tragedy. Uh, oh yeah, my parents, oh, flipping out my parents. Uh, this is tragic. Uh, my parents are quite weird. My, my parents think I'm the dog's bollocks, which is why they've cut me off entirely. <laughs> my... Uh, when we were growing up, we were, we were very poor. My dad was, my dad is oh, still poor now. Like, my dad's always saying to me, when are you going to pay the rent, boy? I said, I'll pay the rent, boy, when I've paid the rest of the bills, Dad. <laughs> we were, um... We, we were very poor growing up, guys. Uh, I remember my dad could only afford one suit, and so we couldn't play any card games. <laughs> We, uh, board, board games were the one things we had in abundance, right? We essentially had all the board games. We didn't have Jenga, uh, but what we did do is arrange the board games that we did have in such a way that we had <laughs> meta Jenga. So that's all right. Board games always caused arguments, don't they? So, uh, we used to play Monopoly on Sundays. I didn't like that. Whenever we played Monopoly, I remember my mum always wanted to be the car. My dad always wanted to be the boat. I always wanted to be the dog because the dog didn't have to play Monopoly. Yeah, we were, we were poor growing up. I remember my dad wanted all of us to tighten our belts, even though he was the only heroin addict. Oh, you don't like the dark tragedy? You just like the soft tragedy, okay. Uh, I didn't know what to do next. I went into town, I took my horticulture classes. Uh, unfortunately, my whore didn't like the culture classes. Took her back to the brothel. I, uh, I met the guy who owned the brothel, quite a posh man, didn't like him very much. I asked him his name. He said to call him Lance a lot for short. I said, why, what's your proper name? He said, Lance, 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 Lance. <laughs> Lance a lot. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you didn't like it or didn't get it. Okay, cool. You want another Lance joke? Yeah, you do. Uh, he's got a brother whose name's Lance, Lance, Lance. Uh, he's a freelancer. <laughs> this Lance a lot, quite annoying though. He's an expat, by which I mean he used to be a postman. <laughs> I said to him, what were you before you were a postman? He said, a man. Anyway, <laughs> I spent a bit of time in the brothel and three wonderful blowjobs later, I left with an aching jaw and five pounds, five pounds in my pocket. <laughs> Is that too bleak? I don't know what I like. Okay, here's another lonely joke. I went to the library. I, um, I don't know about you guys, but when it comes to pornography magazines in public libraries, I've got a few reservations. So I picked those up, went home. Oh dear. Off to the library? Yeah. Probably shut. More tragedy. The library's shut. Uh, what did I do next, guys? Did I go to the zoo? Did I, uh, did I go to the hospital? Which is, which is bleaker. 
Both? Well, I don't know. Uh, no, one, one, two minutes. Okay, two minutes. Uh, hospital? Awkward. Okay, this is this is bleak. I went to visit my granddad. Actually, visiting my granddad was really good in hospital. Visiting my granddad, he was in a great mood, right? He was making all kinds of jokes, you know? He had a good laugh showing me the bag he'd done his wee in uh, and pointing out the woman who owned the bag and who hadn't noticed yet. <laughs> he has got funny bones, osteoporosis, but he's in the right place and he's getting better. Now, there was one bit in the hospital, right, where the member of staff uh, in the hospital came along and it really annoyed me, right? This guy who worked for the hospital came along and started fiddling with the light by my granddad's bed while I was trying to chat to my granddad. I got really angry. I looked at his name badge and I said, now you listen to me, Electric Ian, if that is your real name. <laughs> um, haven't got time for my statistic Ian callback, it's fine. <laughs> a nice hospital. This is, should we end with this pretty flat joke? Yeah? Uh, don't think I could, Lucy. <laughs> Should have booked another act. I'll do the flat joke, then I'll go to the zoo for one joke. How about that? Okay, good. Uh, flat joke first. Very nice hospital. They're quite into literature and poetry. They've got a whole ward named after Robert Burns. So that's good. Then I went to the zoo. It's all right. I went to the zoo. I saw I was happy. I got to spend some time with my favorite animal, uh, which is an ocelot. Uh, that's not a scientific name, of course, which is os, 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 os. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> Thank you very much. Massive round of applause for Jack Heel.